Hans and Scotty, 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Hope you're all having a great Tuesday. Yes, we had Monday off, so it's kind of fun to uh, kick off the week on a Tuesday. But a man who never has a day off because he breaks down the jazz better than anybody else 24-7. It's Ben Anderson. Not only you hear him on uh, the station from 10 to 12 with Jake Scott, but you also catch him uh, on kslsports.com as our Utah Jazz insider. Ben, how the heck are you? Hey, handsome guy. Appreciate that. Thank you. I'm doing well. Have you guys mended fences? Are we good now? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We we actually never really had an issue. Yeah, were we off? I didn't remember that. Well, you you said some things, Ben, that that, that (laughs) you you essentially called his wife a gold digger. That did hurt. That actually did hurt. I wasn't wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, Lloyd is the one that was causing the problems. Yes, blame it on me. That's okay. I'll take it. All right. Well, the All-Star uh, All-Star game is in the rearview mirror. Um, number one, just as a fan of the game that loves the NBA, like, you know, your entire life, I, and, and we're all that way, we have these glorified images of John Paxson and John Stockton going toe-to-toe in Salt Lake back in 93 and those games being competitive and guys really trying to find ways to win the games to now what we have. Are you disappointed? Where are you at on the All-Star game? Are you disappointed with it? Does it need to be tweaked? Can it be tweaked? Or is this just what we have now? I mean, I guess the fact that I have almost completely checked out on it is a really bad sign because it should be something that I have interest in that I don't really have a lot of interest in. And it should be a showcase for the league to highlight its best players. So in that sense, yes, I guess it's a failure and it's lost. And maybe it's been lost for so long that I'm just apathetic and I don't care anymore. But I do also, like, I remember being younger when every game was decided, you know, 85 to 78, and those games were being scored in the 110s and 120s, like it's not like they were playing great defense for 48 minutes, even back when I was younger and you had Jordan out there. Like they were always high scoring games. Now they weren't 200 points like we saw over the weekend, but they were always inflated from what we would usually see. I think we have uh, begun to get a little bit overly nostalgic about what the all-star games used to be. So, what did you feel like was the most successful part of All-Star Weekend? That's a very difficult question. I, I mean, honestly, I think what translates the best is always the three-point shooting contest because it's simple, it's straightforward. And then I'll even go and say, you know what? I thought Steph versus Sabrina Ionescu was great. I thought that was really fun. I thought people were into it. I thought they both competed really hard. I thought you saw Steph, who's the best player at doing that on the planet, the best we've ever seen, shine and that's i guess what the all-star weekend is supposed to show how do we get the best out of the actual best in the world and you know you don't get the best players in the dunk contest you don't even get the best athletes in the dunk contest anymore that's unfortunate so at least you got the best three-point shooter ever doing his best in a three-point shootout and i liked how hard he competed i loved how hard she competed i thought that was the best part of the weekend and maybe you need to find ways to get a little bit more gimmicky and less trying to create a basketball game with players who don't want to be there it's crazy it's the first time i've heard people talk negative about the jet but they sure didn't like kenny's uh, take on that three-point contest no i thought the broadcasting was bad all weekend long you know I, I just they don't have that and i do think there's an issue where i love charles i think uh draymond green's gonna be a great broadcaster as soon as he retires the nba does have a problem with like the announcers openly talk about how bad the league is all the time it's like it's not that bad. You guys are kind of falling into a trap of the dog days of the league, and it gets tiresome. There's a lot of games, but 
there's some negative nostalgia about the NBA now where all these guys talk about how it used to be. It's like, man, the game is better than it used to be. These players are all better than you guys were. And so for you to talk about how bad the league is right now, I do think there's some jealousy when it comes to how much money is being made in the league and how you know average players are making 10 times what Charles Barkley made in his career. But I, I do think there's too much negative talk from the announcers in the NBA. Do you um... – you know, and I think I think it's it's human nature when you're no longer part of a game and you want to dog on it and you think that yours is better. I mean, I do that as a fan. I I slip back to you know my formative years as a kid, growing up watching the NBA in the late '80s and into the '90s, and I'm I always think that that's better. And then you take a step back, like, eh, not really. Um, is there? And I think you and I have talked about this a little bit. Do you feel like? that the out-of-control offensive nature of what's going on currently in the NBA is leading to that, where guys are like, well, nobody plays defense anymore, nobody cares anymore. Do you think that these games that are you know, consistently in the 120s, 130s, sometimes even 140s, is, is uh, dragging the game down a little bit in terms of its reputation, when in reality it's just the greatest athletes on the planet just doing their thing? I, I think the analytics have surpassed the game a little bit. Like we've gotten so good at figuring out how to perfect shots that our rules haven't caught up with it. So, you know, I talked about this today on my podcast, which will come out later. I would probably get rid of three seconds in the key. Like guys aren't shooting 50 mid-range jump shots a game anymore. There's so many threes taken. Like why not give big guys an advantage and just say, hey, Walker Kessler, if the Jazz want to plant you in the key for 30 minutes a game, you never have to move. And if that takes away some layups – Fine. And now maybe the problem is guys only shoot threes and maybe that becomes worse. I mean, I guess that could potentially be a negative fallback, but like if you want defenses to get better, help defenses. Like that doesn't mean you have to get rid of the three point line or move it back or get rid of corner threes, which I know some of these things that have been talked about, but like give something back to the big man to make the traditional big man important again. So it's not just every guy, regardless of their height is trying to shoot as many threes as possible. Like, it would be good if you have a bunch of guys whose sole value is that they protect the rim and aren't only valued like whether or not they shoot threes. Like it, it was kind of a problem last year and throughout Rudy Gobert's tenure in Utah that every conversation, every offseason was like, well, when's he going to add the jump shot? When, when's he going to start shooting threes? We still talk about it with Walker. Uh, you know, you would still see Rudy Gobert occasionally taking them in practice, like as an idea that that was something he was working on. It's like Rudy Gobert over the last seven years has been one of the 10, 15 best players on the planet as far as impacting winning, which is the only thing that matters. And we're dogging him because he doesn't shoot threes. Like, let's highlight what he does. Let's value what he does do instead of trying to change it. So I think that type of thing could improve the league and where the rules, like I said, have probably not caught up yet to the analytics. Are you seeing more usage of the offhand offensively to get separation that's not getting called? Because it seems to be more apparent to me that you're seeing a lot more usage of that hand to create separation and you very rarely get the offensive call. Yeah. I I think one of the interesting to to kind of bring it into it where it's used a whole lot and where they could get rid of it. And it was a conversation I had with somebody who would, I I don't, I don't know who I'm going to, I got it secondhand and I know who they got it from, but I don't know if they were clear to talk about it. So I'll just tell you the conversation I had with somebody who really knows the league was that they would get rid of mid range fouls almost entirely which is like, that's exactly what you're talking about, Hans. It's like you drive your body into somebody with your offhand, you kind of sweep through or you push off, and we call it on the defensive player, and then they shoot a bad mid-range jump shot, which they were never going to shoot otherwise. Mm-hmm. And we, we benefit the offense there so often. 
which is like that's where we should benefit defenses. Like if analytics aren't are telling you to move away from mid-range jump shots, how are we still rewarding offensive teams for drawing fouls in mid-range? That doesn't make any sense to me. So those are the types of plays where, yes, I think you know the league has gotten so good at drawing fouls and guys are so good at recognizing, like, where's your foot? Where's your hand? Like, I know you're off balance. So once you're off balance, I've got you beat either getting to the rim or I'm going to get to my step back or I'm going to draw a foul. That's where we need to start fixing some of those rules. Ben Anderson joining us. Uh, you catch that podcast, the uh, Jazz Notes podcast. Also get the newsletter uh, sent right to your email as well. Uh, all right, so we're down the home stretch of the season. Jazz will kick things off coming up here in a couple of days. Uh, what are reasonable expectations for this season remaining for the Utah Jazz? Yeah, I mean, I think if you can win 40% of your games, which will get you a top 10 pick, will at least make the game somewhat interesting to watch. Not every game is going to be close, but not every game is going to be a blowout, which, you know, guys remember the Detroit Pistons lost 29 games in a row this season. <laughs> You're not going to have to deal with that. So if you can win four out of every 10 or, you know, to break it down smaller, two out of every five, that's probably accomplishes the Jazz goal of what I would think would be to get a top 10 pick and you add another talented player or major trade piece and fans can stay engaged enough to not feel like they totally have to check out on the team. And then you'll get a very heavy dose of Keontae George and Taylor Hendricks. And we'll see if, you know, Bryce Sensabaugh breaks into the rotation at some point or not. But I, I think it's going to be a lot of what you saw on Thursday night, which, you know what, if, that was a good product. I, I thought Thursday night's game was really fun. It was bad offense or bad defense, excuse me, which isn't always great, but you had two teams really playing hard in the fourth quarter. You had your rookie jump out and have a huge record-breaking or tying performance, making nine threes. Taylor Hendricks got on the floor and I actually thought looked pretty good, even though his numbers weren't great. And and they were competitive. Those those moments mattered. County George learned a lot by playing, you know, thirty possessions, twenty-five possessions in the fourth quarter of a game that they were trying to win. I think that's what to expect. But, you know, I'm not going to say the Jazz are going to go on a, what, 19-6 and six run over the last 25 games and storm into the playoffs. I, I don't see that happening. So, Ben, I was talking to Scotty about this to start the show, watching Minnesota and watching their two all-stars and Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards and then waking up this morning and seeing that Mike Conley just signed an extension and, and he's onward and upward and, Seeing to kill Alexander Walker working his specialty role that he's got with Minnesota and feeling like the Jazz were really close and this Minnesota team is going to be really tough down the stretch. And if they win a championship, I don't know exactly how to feel about it, but I wanted to get your thoughts on this. This Minnesota team, the way it's constructed, does it make you feel like the Jazz might have been closer than than they actually were or that we thought they were? And how do you feel about Minnesota's chances coming out of the West? Yeah, and hands. let me pull Cleveland into this too because Cleveland has the second-best record in the Eastern Conference, and their second and third-best player have been hurt a lot of the year in Darius Garland and Evan Mobley, and Donovan Mitchell has quietly put together just a huge season. Like, he's a top-10 MVP candidate. So now you're like, man, Rudy was really good, and Donovan was really good, and maybe the issues were elsewhere. You know, maybe it wasn't those two guys and their inability to get together. Maybe they were good enough. Now, that's a huge maybe because I will tell you if – you end up with a healthy Joel Embiid in the first round of the playoffs and they play the Cavaliers. Am I going to be stunned if Donovan Mitchell loses in the first round again? I'm not. Or, and I'm not picking him to win any second round series in the Eastern Conference. Like, I don't think they get out of the second round and then you're still stuck with the problem of your best player is a six foot one guard who's really good and that doesn't win in the NBA. So that's the Cleveland aspect of it. The Minnesota part of it, 
I think they're contenders. They're really bad late in games offensively. And look, that is kind of a Rudy Gobert problem. And what I'll say is it's not Rudy's fault, but Rudy doesn't fix it. But that's why they need Mike Conley. It's why they gave up what they did to get to get Mike Conley last year at the trade deadline. Like they cannot close games at all. It's crazy to watch them in the fourth quarter. They do not know how to execute, especially if Mike Conley's not on the floor. It's also why they traded for Monty Morris at the trade deadline. They have to have good point guard play because Anthony Edwards isn't quite that type of guy. He's not going to go out and make the perfect play, the right play, every you know every possession down the stretch of a clutch game. And that's why he might not be a true top five, top six, top seven player yet in the NBA. So Minnesota is really good. I love what they did to the Clippers last week where the Clippers went small. And they said, okay, Rudy's going to dunk on Kawhi Leonard. Cat's going to be huge, and you're not going to have any answer for us if you go small. Do I think they can do that over a seven-game series? I don't know. But I like that they showed that they could at least try and do it there. So I like them. And, again, they could be in the same boat as Cleveland and be out in the second round. And I'd say, yeah, they've, they've got some flaws. And now they've got a really expensive team that can't get out of the second round of the playoffs. And that gets really dicey for them, too. So I think that's what the Jazz are betting on. That's what the Jazz front office is betting on. But personally, I would love to see both Rudy and Mike Conley win a title. I think those guys were really fun to cover and fun to watch, and I think they're good for the NBA and what the future could look like. Minnesota-Denver seven-game series. You still go Denver? Denver in five. Yeah, I, don't, yeah, I said six. Nikola Jokic but, yeah. is so good. I mean, I, again, I know he's just mailed it in, and they've got some questions in their, in their second unit. They're really young. You realize how good Jeff Green and, and was it Sterling Brown last year, or was it Bruce Brown? Now I'm mixing up my uh, my Browns. Uh, and then there was, of course, Christian Brown, who's the young guard yeah. who's not playing that well this year. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're really inexperienced in the second unit. So I, I've got some questions about them there. Like, man, I don't want to play Reggie Jackson a whole lot of minutes in the, in the playoffs. But again, it's like, I don't trust Cat. I don't trust Carl Anthony Towns hardly at all. So then you're counting on Mike Conley to be healthy and be able to last through the playoffs, which he didn't do in Utah very often either. So they're, they are not perfectly put together. And yes, I would take the, definitely I would take the, uh, the nuggets over them. I might even take the thunder over them. I might take the Clippers over them in a seven game series. When you're talking about Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, it's just, it's still an uphill climb. I think you were talking about Christian Brown. Christian. No, Christian Brown is the guard. Who is the, I think it's Bruce Brown right now when he plays. Yeah, I think it's Bruce, Raptors. Yeah. Bruce yeah. Brown, who was, yeah. Sorry, um, I mix up all my, uh, my, my players. Hey, so you actually brought up kind of an interesting thing. I, why didn't the Jazz try something different coaching-wise with that roster? Did they feel like I, Quinn was the guy? I, I do. I think that there was real investment that Quinn was the guy. And when he left, it kind of felt like that was the first shooter drop, which it really was. I mean, the Jazz, you know, Quinn resigned on June 5th, and they didn't trade R- Rudy Gobert until it was like the 28th or 29th. I think it was like when that broke, and then they couldn't officially do it until July. But like, there had been 25 days where, you know, they were hiring a coach and Will Hardy coming in knowing that they were already going to blow up this roster. And now I'm kind of looking at it. I'm like, huh, maybe, maybe you should have tried a coach for six months. You know, maybe you could have tried something a little bit different. That might end up being one of the great what ifs in jazz history is that you had these guys under contract still. Remember Mike Conley was still here. Jordan Clarkson was still here. You could have had that roster. I know they didn't have a lot of draft flexibility and that was an issue and they were kind of getting expensive, but I don't think Quinn's like got a lot of, He's not won everybody over in Atlanta with his coaching job. 
So maybe just you needed new eyeballs on it. And that's not to say Quinn wasn't a very good coach. I think he is, but like just a different look, different eyeballs, something to try something a little bit differently. I mean, you still had Boyan Bogdanovich coming back that season. And if you wanted to blow it up, you could have. Maybe you would have gotten less, or maybe you would have been good and you could have kept this thing alive and kept it afloat for a little while. So that is definitely emerging as one of the bigger what-ifs in recent jazz memory. Well, and, and to let people behind the scenes a little bit, and Hans and I have kind of, you know, like we, we, we've had conversations and I know Ben, you've had conversations as well. There was, you know, I, I think it's well known that Donovan Mitchell was not particularly happy in Utah, but was not forcing the hand of the jazz at that point to trade him. There was nothing publicly. And I think there were probably indications behind the scenes that he was, uh, that he would not resign and stay in Utah. And he had what, two years left? Was uh, it? Yeah, I think so. But I think it was three. Yeah, but but the thing is, winning and a new you know a new culture, a new environment with coaching can change things pretty quickly. So yeah, I think the Jazz felt like okay, you know we we got burnt we got burnt with Gordon Hayward because we didn't move him and we lost him. Um, but you still had a ton of time. If you start winning, guys can change their opinion pretty quick. But then you go back to the disconnect between Rudy and Donovan and their camps weren't getting along at that point. So, I mean, it's pretty easy to, you know, put the, uh, the, the, the glasses and look back the, you know, the, uh, what is it? Hindsight, hindsight 2020. But I I can see both things being true there, obviously. Look, if you, if you knew you were getting Will Hardy, I would have said keep it together. Like Will, I think Will Hardy is a really good coach, and I think he makes the types of adjustments that Quinn Snyder showed an unwillingness to make that have made the Jazz pretty interesting and yeah. why I think he's going to be a really good coach going forward. But you don't know that. And, and you know, to, to that point, look at what Milwaukee did. They hired Adrian Griffin, who was very similar to who Will Hardy is. I mean, I, I know Adrian Griffin was a player. Will Hardy wasn't. But, like, Adrian Griffin was a top assistant under one of the top head coaches for a long time and was kind of one of the up-and-comers and had interviewed for jobs before and was kind of thought as this wasn't like this. Nobody killed the Bucks for hiring Adrian Griffin when they did. And they fired him 40 games in the year. And I would tell you guys, I, like, I think it's made it more likely that Giannis asks out now than if they had you know, gone and gotten a more conservative coach or something. But Doc Rivers is bad now. So if, if, if everything goes sour in Milwaukee – like there's a chance Giannis asks out this summer, which, yeah. you know, if you had ended up with that spot with both Donovan and Rudy Gobert and there was a fire sale, you don't get hardly anything for those guys. It's certainly not compared to what you did end up getting. And that is the risky run. The Jazz just gambled on, you know, cutting ties early, and we will see if they can get back to where they were with those two players. But, yeah, that, that is certainly the gamble, and they could have extended it out another year with a new coach if they'd wanted to. Hmm. Ben, you're the best, man. We appreciate it. Thanks for hanging out with us, as always. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, guys. See ya. There he is, Ben Anderson, right here on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone.